And welcome back. This is Miss Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Angelo Gonzalez. And today we are with lovely uh, Kim Stemler. Yeah. Yes. Uh, here with the Monterey Vinters and Growers Association. Yes. Yes. And um, yeah, I'd like to start us off. I walked in the office, saw a quote that I have to just introduce ourselves. Be ruthless for your own well-being, folks. And that goes for all you students out there down in the weeds back at Middlebury Institute. Um, you gotta you gotta just be ruthless every now and again. And uh, we're almost wrapping up with the semester. And um, I'd like to introduce our guests on our show today. Uh, we're gonna dive into sustainability in, uh, in, in the winery, in the vineyards, uh, here in our Monterey County. So uh, without further ado, uh, Kim, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and how uh, you got introduced into uh, Monterey and, uh, and, and wines. Yeah, so um, in the 80s, I was working in investments in Baltimore and in my 20s, like you, probably like a lot of you, um, and just felt like that was not enough in life. And um, my company actually sent me out to California to take a workshop uh, with someone uh, around group process and how people come together. How do you get large groups of people together, especially when you're integrating lots of new, new employees. Brought the work back and uh, they loved it. And they said, go find out where he's teaching again and go. And so he was teaching in Big Sur at Esalen Institute. Wow. And so I went and I sat naked in the hot tubs on an investment company's dime. <laughs> I won't name the investment company right now. Um, and had a great time and fell in love with Big Sur, with actually the land. And I dreamt about it for a year. And then I thought, and I had my master's from Johns Hopkins in management. and realized that that life path was not the one I wanted to be on. I didn't know what it was, but I realized that, you know, that traditional make a lot of money, work in investments, uh, that wasn't it. Uh, so, so I just gave it all up and moved to Big Sur. <laughs> oh my God. Wow. And then since then, have built my own house in Big Sur, uh, have kids and uh, ended up getting divorced, and that made me move to town because actually there, a Big Sur goes in and out of having any available housing for workforce. Um, and although my ex-husband has land, you know, I needed something, and there was just no place to live when I was looking for a place. And also I wanted to recreate a professional life. I was working at Esalen and, um, you know, had to, had to afford a family and house and stuff like that. So... Um, I ended up moving to town and um, starting a management consulting business, working primarily with foundations, large foundations and government agencies because government is a huge part of our industry around here. We don't talk about it a lot, but it really is. Um, and then uh, just, so did that for 15 years and then some friends of mine, <laughs> I really like wine, and some friends of mine heard that this position was open. I wasn't looking and they said, you're a leader, you need to do this. They just really wanted me in wine, I think. Um, so, and all the benefits that brings. Uh, so that's what I did. So I applied to 125 other people and I got the job and I've been doing this for five years. Uh, so I'm, uh, we have two organizations. We have the Monterey County Vintners and Growers Association, which is a trade association, it's a 501c6. 
membership-based association. And then we have a foundation that's a 501c3. Um, and that raises money for scholarship for, for families and research and a couple of other projects that are near and dear to, um, to our winemakers and wine growers' hearts. Wow. And so. you work with both the association and foundation? Yes, I'm the director of both. Awesome. Yeah. And some of the, the projects that you guys are working on, are those uh, co-established with some of the, the wine growers out here? Yeah, so we do lots of different things. I, I'd like So the primary organization that I we do projects under is really under the association, the C6, not the C3. Um, the C3 is more of a funding mechanism. Right. Um, and so the C6, we do several things. I'd like to say we're barrier busters. We are cheerleaders, we're promoters, and we're um, connectors. So in terms of barriers, um, that could also be positive. I just couldn't think of a cute thing to say that was <laughs> affirming. Right. Um, so as of January 1st, 2019, there is a law in place that says if you put a, an AVA or a wine region, that's AVA stands for American Viticulture Area. It's a federally designated wine region. Uh, that basically means the terroir is similar. Um, there are lots of crossovers, so so you use that. That's light. Um, so if if you were to buy grapes from one of our AVAs, you happen to live in Napa, and you put Santa Lucia Highlands on the label, and Santa Lucia Highlands is probably our most famous AVA, um, you now have to put Monterey County on the label as well. Mm-hmm. Before, it would be Santa Lucia Highlands made in Napa on the label. So folks didn't realize that this great wine was coming from Monterey County. Um, So we uh, facilitated that legislation being passed. That was a state legislation. And and then recently we've just received re-clarification. They've changed some rulings because because we asked them to from the ABC that said, you know how breweries can serve growlers? Yes. You know, Mm -hmm. so... uh, in your tasting room, if it's not your winery, um, you, we were the old law. The interpretation of it was that you could not fill up a wine bottle in that tasting room, whether it was your own, the wineries, or somebody brought it in. So we have just received a reinterpretation and asked them to pull bottling out of the winemaking process, so that now in tasting rooms that would choose to do this they could actually have a keg and fill up a bottle there. So, um, so far, it would require a legislative change for us to do like growlers and you bring in your own. Angelo brings in his own bottle. But you could bring in your own like wine bottle to return and they could give you a new bottle and we could fill it up there. They could cork it and would have a label on it and send fun. you off. Um, which I think is just one. It's delightful. It's a... I love wine because it's family and joy and all good things and um, and to bring people into tasting rooms and to have you get your you know your bottle of wine for the dinner table poured into that bottle right that there. right there and then take it home. I just think there's something so charming about that. So anyway, and that's also going to be coming in July. 1st? Uh, so that that actually we've had that reinterpretation. It's done. Oh, it's Any done, done. winery can do that now. Oh, wow. I just need to spread the word. 
That's federal? That's uh, that's in the state. In the state. So, okay. yeah, alcohol is most laws. It is There are federal laws, but it's mostly state-controlled. So there are barriers that we bust, mm-hmm. uh, we promote. We have, uh, I had a wine enthusiast writer in last week, and in the June issue, there'll be big coverage of Monterey County, which is very exciting. And then, um, Monterey County Wines, I should say. And then we have our largest... Um, annual event, our 27th annual winemaker celebration, Monterey Winemaker Celebration on May 4th in Carmel. Uh, you should come if you're 25, most of you guys are 21 or over. <laughs> and if you want to volunteer, get in touch with me because that's also really fun. Um, so we promote and then we are cheerleaders. That just means yay wine. <laughs> yay Monterey Wines. Um, and then we're connectors. We bring together our members regularly. Um, the week before last, we did a varietal tasting where our winemakers came together and all of their uh, 2018 vintage rosés, uh, we wrapped them, so it was a blind tasting of all the rosés. And and then we bring together our growers. You can see my, let's beat these viruses together, Monterey. Yeah. Um, you know, we have our growers come together and they work on <laughs> less interesting things like how do we, how do we deal with diseases? in the vines that don't know property lines. You know, our tasting room folks come together. So that's the kind of thing we do. We do a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's a wide range of things going on. It is, um, definitely. And it, it reminds me uh, that state law that just got reinterpreted. Yeah. Um, I had a, an experience when I was in Mendoza. I was working at a winery. And uh, every morning, it ceased to amaze me, we would have a... We, Argentina as a whole, they have a, a large immigration pol- uh, population from Italy. And so we get a bunch of these old guys, like, you know, nine in the morning, knocking on our big doors, asking for the Dama Juana, you know, which are these huge uh, bottles of wine. And, um, you know, we sell them uh, just table wine, you know, yeah. that they want for their meal. Right. Uh, but, you know, effectively, we, you know, uh, we cork it and everything right in front of them. And then we're like, here you go, you know. Yeah. It, that's exactly what this was. And be. it's like, to me, the, as, as small of a memory as that was, it was very significant in the yeah. moment because, like, I was like, look at this, this like cultivation of you know relationships that you establish, this facilitation. It it, it it's much more of a uh, community based. Mm-hmm. That that's when it. I mean, for me, I'm not in wine because I want to pimp alcohol. That is not, <laughs> right. I want that to happen. But it's really, I'm in wine because it's joy. Yeah. And that, what you just shared that has stuck with you is, is one of my hopes that we will have that relation. You know, that people are coming, to, people don't drink wine to get drunk. No, you yeah. know, people drink wine because they want to have fun and they want to they want to have that great food wine experience. They want a rich, juicy life. Yeah. Um, it's very different than sitting with my shots of tequila. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> wrong with tequila. It's very different. So it is that cultural feeling, yeah. and, and I'm so glad you shared that story because that is what we're trying to recreate. Right, and in that same spirit, um, you know. We, we, we would, you know, you, you go to different tasting rooms and you see the types of conversation that people are having. And generally speaking, people are in a much more livelier, upbeat mood. And, yeah. you know, you're excited to see each other. You yeah. Know? I mean, you got um, wine. Yeah. What more do you ask for? Wine, people you like. The weather's <laughs> perfect right now, you know. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, 
that in itself, and I w- I'd be curious to see, uh, actually, hearing your story as far as, because uh, you, you seem to have cultivated uh, a growing sense of, of wine within your experience. Uh, what was the moment for you that you were bitten by the wine bug? And you... Oh, probably when I was a child. Really? Yeah, wow. probably when I was like 15 or something. Wow. Uh, yeah, I really do think it's like childhood memories of um, my, so my great uncle was in beer, so alcohol is, and not in a drunk way, but you know, alcohol and wine have always been present and part of the family celebration. Um, so, and, and in our family we could, you know, if we had wine at the table, of course kids could drink and, um, and I actually think that's a nice practice, uh, you know, to show kids, you know, oh, this is what it's like to taste and to smell and to have this experience, and this is how it pairs with food. Not, again, not that they drink a lot, but just to understand the entire experience. Um, anyway, that's, so, as a child. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I mean, that's how I grew up, you know. Yeah. It, it's such a, a, a family-oriented type of thing where... Um, and I, I think this is something that I've tossed back and forth with, you know, uh, I guess American binge culture, you know, yeah. and I've gone abroad. Uh, I, I've done the deal where, you know, I've been at a pub in London and people are just, I noticed the way and manner in which, you know, uh, drinking conversation are flowing and you see like they're not drinking to get drunk, but I, I'll ask them, I'll be like, Hey, you know, um, what do you come to a pub for? They're like, Oh, the, you know, have good conversation. Hang out, you know. right. Uh, the same thing could be said for any uh, type of drink. I know in Argentina, you have, uh, what is it? Not It's not tea, but it's uh, yerba mate. Yes. And it's this shared drink that gets passed around. They don't even consider it a drink. It's just an excuse for conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, th- I think, well, and this is getting a little off the topic, but that's okay. <laughs> Um, I think our puritanistic culture in the United States has controlled us so much and has really affected our culture in negative ways. Because the more you tighten, the more people come out with aberrant behaviors, right? If you tell me I can't do something, well, that makes me want to do it more. <laughs> and, um, and, and I might find a way around that, and then I might act inappropriately. Whereas if, if as a child, having wine at the dinner table is part of our culture, People don't get drunk. That they they show you healthy behavior. They show you how you experience. It's just like, you know, my kids are are very good conversationalists. Well, that's because all their lives they were in front of other people and talking with adults all the time. And we had parties all the time. Um, so there is no need for my kids to act out. You know, there was no no need for me to act out because I wasn't being constrained by some cultural. Um, more that it, it that is wrong and i think in the u.s we're too puritan <laughs> you know we're just so constrained that then we come out and we act out in bizarre ways yeah uh, whereas other countries don't you know right. so i hope that we change that yeah. <laughs> along with many other things <laughs> yeah. oh man that's for another that podcast or two so yeah i mean those are all valid points, and I am totally in agreement with that um, sentiment. Uh, something that, you know, um, right now we're seeing uh, 
fluctuations between my dad's like hobbies and it's always interesting seeing how he takes in different new lights of uh, of of things that he just likes to do right and yeah. uh with wine it's a very special connection between my dad and I because mm-hmm. like I he told me about Malbec and I was thinking about studying abroad and I was like you know Argentina has Malbec he was yeah. like should go there. <laughs> and so I went there and I came back with a Cabernet Franc mentality. Uh, and it was so weird, you know, but like um we were able to like bond over wine, you yes. know. Yes. And um uh, it's this thing whenever we get together, like immediately, you know, it's like he's like, Okay, we're gonna we're gonna get some this, we're gonna get some of this, we're gonna grill, you know, and that shared experience has helped, you know, uh brought us together that yeah. much stronger, you know. It's so funny that you say that because I have heard that more from fathers, either from fathers directly saying, I love that my kids are adults and, you know, we get to share my whole wine cellar and they bring bottle of wines. Yeah. And it's, that's really cool that fathers are doing that. And I hear about it more from fathers than I do from mothers, yeah. which I don't know whether that's true in actuality. The Puritan but, <laughs> right, right, I don't know. Oh, yeah, my mom, oh. <laughs> I love you. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, pivoting away uh, from from that, uh, but keeping it in the same spirit, mm-hmm. um, some of the, the, the projects that you've seen in years past, um, what, are, what are some sustainability uh, initiatives that are being taken up? What are uh, some certain challenges that you think uh, the county is facing? Um, right. Um, so let's talk in the big sense. One, the market's driving sustainability. Mm. So the industry knows that. Um, so from so that so that's one big thing. The other thing is, um, wine growers love their land. They love their grapes. They care about their land, um, and especially in Monterey County, we're farmers. And I think often there is this negative connotation of farmers these days, or big farmers. And I would like to just erase all of that. I understand corporate stuff, but. Um, you know, the wine growers here love their land and they don't want to screw it up. Right. So between them always having good practices um, and then the market really driving uh, third-party, well, driving sustainability as proven by third-party certifications. Um, that's huge. So the big third-party certifications are um, Walmart actually has one that's huge for uh, food, and wine is included, wine is a food. Um, so they're driving a lot of certification. So if you want to sell in Walmart, which is not the majority of our brands, um, but if you want to sell in Walmart, you have to meet their certification. Um, and then there are two within the state. So California grows 90% of all the wine in the US, and even though I think 46 states are growing grapes right now, we still have the bulk. So there are two other big organizations that have third-party sustainability certifications, and one is based in Paso, Paso Robles, which is in San Benito, uh, whoa, San Luis Obispo County. I went the wrong direction. (laughs) Um, The vineyard team actually runs that. And then the other is run by the Wine Wine Institute, the most powerful wine organization in the U.S. Uh, they are a nonprofit like us too. Um, and we work with them. We work with both regularly. Um, the Wine Institute has one called, and I, uh, I always have to look it up, California Sustainable Wine Growing Program. Um, 
I had shared with you, I have no idea why there are two. Um, in my management perspective, I would only have one, but that's okay. I'm not the one that originated that. Uh, so markets driving these, uh, growers will say, I'm already doing all this stuff. Uh, and, and they see it as uh, something they have to do for marketing because marketing requires them to, to do the certifications. But it's not about not doing the practices. Um, so the practices actually occur in th at, on different levels. One um, is, you know, what are your processes in the vineyards? It's mostly vineyards, although it could be wineries too. But what's your process in the vineyard? Are you doing, do you have sustainable practices? Um, the other is, how do you treat your employees? Hmm. Which is really Social awesome. sustainability. It's right. social, right. And then how do you treat the community? Do you give back to the community? Hmm. And one of the things I have been so impressed with by this industry is how freaking generous they are. Like these folks, so... A lot of them are farmers, they're ag people, but they tend to be uh, like really intelligent. <laughs> I don't know, there's something about wine people that are like bright and creative and interesting, but still salt of the earth. Wine people are fascinating. Um, and particularly in this county, I have a really funny story. So we had a big journalist in last week and we went out to dinner and like with winemakers and like big winemakers and one of the, Ian Bram was there. So he, uh, the Chronicle said he's the best winemaker in California in 2018. That's a big deal. This group did not look impressive. You are much more dressed up than they are today. You know, they show up in jeans and shirts and they've got beards and their hair's flying all over the oh. place. Or, you know, they just don't look like... Um, they're Aggies. They're, they are. Or they're just really laid back. Yeah. You know, and they love their wine and that's what they're passionate about. But they're not necessarily polished in it, in like the way they dress. <laughs> it's not like Napa. You know? Yeah. We're... We're so laid back and kicked back, and I was thinking, if they wouldn't, you know, if people in the restaurants didn't see 40 bottles of wine on our table, they would think, who are they? <laughs> you know, these are, these are nobodies in the county. When these are actually the, these were the best winemakers in, in Monterey County at these tables. Um, so, anyway, uh, got off on that tangent. Um, go back to sustainability. <laughs> so, so, often they feel like it is just a marketing thing because they're already doing it. So 65% of all the, it's mostly a vineyard-based thing, the wine growing, that's where it, it's really the vineyard and the vineyard management company is often the, the sustainable, although the practices uh, continue on into winemaking. Um, but most of the practices happen in the vineyard or in relation to the community or, or the employees. Um, so 65% of our folks are sustainably certified in one of those things. And I think it's almost like 85% that are practicing. Um, so some of the things that we're experimenting with right now is uh, dry farming. So let's, um, let's dry so first of all, um, <laughs> so grapes use very few pesticides and very little water. Uh, so grapes can actually be planted next to a river, according to like the water board there are lots of water agencies that were uh in this community and in this region 
Uh, water is another interesting oh, yeah. <laughs> podcast to do. Anyway, so we're defined as a tier one, which means that we you can plant grapes right next to riverbeds because they don't drink that much. They're not going to mess up the um, the water table. So all grapes are irrigated. They're not overhead sprinkled. So that's one of the sustainability practices. That's also healthier for a vineyard. So we've been doing that a long time, <laughs> you know, drip irrigated. Some of the cool things that are happening around drip irrigation are, is in technology where you now can um, go down to the, like the block and even the vine. So there's a vineyard, there are blocks and uh, there are rows and, you know, then there are individual vines within the rows. Um, you could um, really measure the water needs of just a row or a part of a row, and you can start to water based on the plant's needs and the soil's needs right there. So you can micro water according to the needs of the plant. That is pretty new. Um, and Verizon's been doing a lot of that. AT&T is a little slow getting on board, but they're interested in getting on board on that, which is, it's interesting that Verizon and AT&T are two of the players. <laughs> right. um, so, so there's that kind of micro technology happening. Um, the other things that happen are power sources. So, um, we were talking, Scheid Vineyards is our largest all Monterey uh, grower and uh, winery. And they have a really cool winery in Greenfield if you ever get to go on a tour. Um, and happy to range if you guys want to. <laughs> uh, so they have one of the big, there are a couple wind turbines, I think three in South County, and they have one of them. Mm. And they have a huge winery and they sell back a lot of power. So they're covering all of their power needs for their plant um, with that wind turbine. And then they're always looking at the process. Process is really important. Efficiency is really important. So both in the vineyards and in the winery and getting things to the winery and, and just the way they're so smart. They designed a, a new um, steel tank and it's a pain to clean them out afterwards. And you, uh, clean wineries it's really important that they're clean which you probably know um, because you don't want something that you didn't expect to be in your wine and if you have a dirty winery you're probably growing things microscopic things that you do not want near your wine um, so a good winery is always very clean um, so it's really important once you dump this vintage that everything is cleaned out again and, and cleaned very well. Well, cleaning these vats is really hard. So they realized that, and these are huge one-story vats. Their stainless steel tanks are huge. They make a lot of wine. So they realized that all they had to do was lift the tanks and create a, a door hatch on the bottom of the tanks. And then they could get in and clean really easily and then have a release. So, the, so although that's not necessarily sustainability in terms of natural environment, that is in terms of work environment. You oh, know, they've just made it so easy for their employees to be able to clean out these vats um, in a very ergonomic, efficient way. Right. I remember um, that was like a thing where we had to be certified and go under a certain training process of how to clean the vats, yeah. how to... Uh, Make sure that you you had like a buddy system because of, you know, the potential. Uh, I think carbon uh, monoxide dioxide dioxide uh -huh. yeah, and that was 
yep. you know, contained in there. You, you, you don't even, <laughs> yeah, you, you go in and there's still, you know, carbon dioxide in there. Yeah. That's it, you know, so, yeah, yeah you have to, yeah. Yeah, to fermentation is caught, uh, anything fermenting. I have sauerkraut on my desk. Oh, snap. So anything <laughs> fermenting is um, part of the release. The gas release is carbon dioxide. So any vegetable fermenting and CO2 release. Yeah, yeah all, you have to be. And, sh- and with wine, it's sugar, too. It's all chemistry, folks. It's all chemistry. Yeah. It's so cool. Um, the doing pretty. Sh- oh, yeah. So Shide is just an excellent example. but the, And there are many others. So I think, oh, I had mentioned something about dry farming. So we're watching, there's one vineyard that is dry farming. And that is very interesting to folks. It's one of our best vineyards, um, producing beautiful fruit. It's also a little different. He probably, I think he has a deep clay level underneath, so he tends not to need as much water. But folks are watching how that goes because I think that might be something that more vineyards turn towards. Now, that, 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 um, transition to great uh, dry farming mm-hmm. is that something that they're have they've always done in the vineyards or? no they're just starting to experiment okay and is that for a particular because i know depending on the variety the soil needs yeah it may not work for everybody at all um what kind so, of grapes are they so they're pinot noir uh chardonnay they're in this vineyard in santa lucia highlands um so it's one of our cooler vineyards it's more north on the salinas valley as you go down so if you go out highway 68 towards salinas and take river road before you get to salinas you would go down that's the Salinas. that's uh the santa lucia highlands basically um all on the right side of where the mountains are so it is um it really depends on what your land can handle and what the grapes can handle. So before we went on air, we were talking about how do we handle climate change. So we are farmers, and that is so good. Because if you're new to grape growing, you don't know what to do. (laughs) So two years ago in 2017, we had a great year until September. And Labor Day weekend, it went up to 115 um, in northern parts of, like, Santa Lucia Highlands. We don't know that kind of temperature. I mean, on the peninsula, it was over 100. It was ridiculous. It was so hot. I I never remember it getting that hot here. It was unbelievably hot. And so all the grapes are ripe, almost ready for harvest. And then we get this heat. Um, So... You know, I think in the future we're looking at, and luckily we knew what to do. Our neighboring counties, it was bad. Mm. Like they lost a lot of grapes. Uh, and we had a, we, we were seeing the wet, we get forecast every day mm-hmm. and we saw it coming. So a week before most folks were irrigating. Um, to mitigate that. Just to mitigate it as much as you can. It still burnt some of the skin, but right. um, the Chardonnay had a little hard time. But um but if you weren't irrigating, your crop could have been gone. Uh, and no, that was not our experience. Everybody here was, even the one that was dry farming, irrigated a little bit. Uh, so we know how, because we're farmers, they've done this a lot. Uh, you know, a lot of these guys, some of them are multiple generations, so they just go back and say, Grandpa, what do you do with this? <laughs> you know, oh, okay, that's what I do. Um, so let's talk about, so sustainability is probably the way to go in grape growing. 
Um, but there's a whole thing about natural wines and and um, organic wines. Right. You know, and again, they're all that's processes mostly in grape growing, although a little bit in the winemaking arena. And with organic, we have one virus. It's an airborne virus. Oh, that's not true. Yeah, that's a little true. We have two things. We have mildew. One, we're so coastal, we have mildew. There is no natural treatment that's good for a vineyard. Um, the treatment that is natural under organics is actually copper. Copper is really bad for a vineyard. Right. Uh, copper is really bad for soil. But for some reason, organics practices say it's okay. Um, but it's not. It's bad. So nobody wants to apply copper. Right. Um, so the... So really, a lot of folks are not organic because of mildew, because there's no good treatment for mildew that's on the organic list. Mm -hmm. They would love if there was. Um, And then this other airborne virus that's spread by a a bug um, throughout California, there's no good organic process for that either. Um, And the problem is, when there is an organic vineyard, they end up being the source of the problem. Uh, because these bugs come from those vineyards, pick up the virus, and go, they're windborne. So wherever the wind takes them onto other people's vineyards, it spreads the disease. So um, one of, go ahead. These these diseases, are are they, as far as like um, tracking them, and then Mm -hmm. also, um, is there any sort of method uh, for like notification, between your association and like you know letting like other growers know like hey there's this this disease going around you know so it's almost like I paid you to ask that (laughs) (laughs) so we get our growers together and we started last year um, and we decided that what we needed was a technology that would let us map out these are called vine mealybugs that would let us map out the vine mealybugs so we're using, so there's an ag tech incubator called Heavy Connect. It's not an incubator, it's a company that has, was in an incubator and now has venture capital um, that was doing this really cool safety, so food safety is really important. So this very cool dashboard for food safety. And we realized that we could apply it to our stuff. Uh, very simple, you know, you can put information on your phone, the dashboard's there. Often ag tech is so sophisticated that nobody can use it. That's, that's been the, historically the problem. So then Heavy Connect comes in um, and sees the problem and fixes that problem. So this is the first year, actually our meeting in two weeks, uh, that we're, we're measuring traps. And it's the first time we're going to see. So everybody now hopefully is on this Heavy Connect. And uh, it will be the first time where we can see, we'll see where the traps are. I don't think we'll have any measurements yet. So then what we do is, well, we've been meeting once a month and they break out into neighborhood groups and they talk about what they're seeing, how they can coordinate any kind of treatments, what treatment they're using. Um, you know, is there anything they can do? Is it possible? One of the things that we're interested in is, and we work with the UC Davis fellow, uh, so we have actual science behind all of this. We're curious if trees add a windbreak, because these are airborne diseases. So, you know, should we be planting large trees, uh, you know, on the 
upper part of your vineyard? Would that break some of the viruses? That's so wild. That's so cool. Yeah, so there, so there are all the conversations we're having, yeah. and we are we are tracking it and monitoring it, but we don't know exactly where these little bugs come from. from. Um, yeah, but we do. There are treatments that you can do, but they're not organic. So, I think organic wine is hard. Uh, where sustainable wine is not. And it's really because we don't have the, we don't have the toolkit. Wine grapes isn't, although it's a huge business in California and within Monterey County, it's nearing $2 billion. It's not like soybeans or, um, that's just immense. And your chemical companies will put a lot of money into researching different treatments. Wine grapes don't have that kind of money. So that that's where it comes in. Like right. there's not the money or behind there's not enough incentive and then money behind looking for alternatives. Right. As it is, you know, wine companies spend a good deal, you know, as far as like marketing their their product, right? So yes. the idea of trying to incentivize organic uh winemaking is it's just not there yet. It's not there. It's not there. We're a sustainability is. So, right. you know, so if you're into that, uh, I would look for sustainable, uh, look for that label someplace, right. one of the sustainability practices on your bottle. And then the other thing in natural wines and our winemakers just poo poo that. That's right. Yeah. That's, it's like a trend that, yeah. It comes and it, it, comes and it goes. <laughs> they just poo poo that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, our smallest winemakers. Is, uh, is that something that, is found within biodynamic or is biodynamic different from yeah the biodynamic thing people poo poo too yeah <laughs> and I mean, some of them have worked in biodynamic vineyards that's what's funny some of them some of our best have actually like they have had that experience and they'll just laugh at it so um one of them explained to me what they thought they think biodynamics vineyards are are effective because they're spending a lot of time in the vineyard mm. um, but it's not because it's biodynamic it's because, so this is the theory of one of our wine growers who has worked in a biodynamic vineyard and, and does not have one now, uh, has a normal vineyard, sustainably grown. And his theory is that in biodynamics, you just spend a lot of time looking at the plants mm-hmm. and, lo- you know, and pl- just looking. And if you, it, that it has nothing to do with anything else. It's just like the amount of time you're looking at the plants and you're spending looking at the soil and analyzing the soil. Uh, he really thinks that's why they're so effective. I have no clue, but that was, that was yeah. interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's funny. My, my friend and I um, will compare plants, you know, and we'll sort of just like, oh, I sing more to my plants, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it's, and you know, I, this is my first plant. It, this this plant has a really interesting story, uh, <laughs> but it's a cyclamen, right? Yeah. And it's my friend's favorite plant, so it made me it made me think of her, and so I bought it, and uh, I just had it sitting in my house, and it's it's taken flight, you know, and it normally blooms in in the winter time, you know, so and it's still blooming and it's still going, and it's like I'm gonna have to get a new pot and soil and everything. And uh, she's like, my cyclamen has just got its first flower. <laughs> and we're like a bearing cyclamen, and uh, it's fun. Um, but yeah, there there is an interesting, you know, I guess like within the details of working in a vineyard, and like like your friend says, you know, about you know spending more time with the plants, 
It makes you wonder whether or not that has a critical difference. I well, I think knowing what's going on, of I course, do think yes. those folks that are um, that have a lot of data, mm-hmm. you know that, and there are so what they do is they test the grapes throughout the year. Wine, we were talking about this. Wine is a lot about wine growing too. Is a lot about chemistry. Wine making is really a lot about chemistry, um, and uh, you know so. So the vineyard guys are testing stuff all the time. They're always looking at data. They're always tracking. And um, I think the more they can do that easily, the better. So the technology is going to be really important in the vineyard in the future. And, and I think a big part of sustainability as well. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. We saw that with uh, the interns. Um, I remember... They were, some of them were from Davis, mm-hmm. um, and they would, uh, like, just on every, like, Tuesday, Thursday, they would go out to the vineyards. I was like, oh, what are you guys doing? Oh, we're going out to the vineyards, you know, we got to run our samples. Yeah, yeah, stuff. you run their samples, that's right, that's what they you say. Know, and we're just running our samples. You see, you know, how it just changes over time, you know, from yeah. from day to day, and it's just, right. keeping up with that is, is, uh, is just very fascinating. Um uh, it reminds me of, uh, um, I, I guess, when I first found out about like um, alternative practices within winemaking, uh, is when my dad mentioned to me uh, Ridge Vineyards, uh-huh. and just like yeah, what they're doing. Um, makes great wine. Yeah, and I know a lot of their methods came from pre-industrial winemaking. Yes. Um, I wonder if that's if that's something that is just being done by Ridge or is it being looked at? I think everybody is looking at. I think everybody is always playing with wine. So right. remember, I said winemakers are farmers, but they're they're wine growers and makers. Um, they're like especially here. They're like salt of the earth and really intelligent. Right. So they are so curious. So at these dinners, you know, we get the. We get a bunch of people together and hang out with a journalist, which I don't think is normal for other regions to do. Yeah. And because for some reason, our guys are, and women, they're more guys than women, unfortunately. Um, but they're so willing to share. So I think they're always looking at practices and old practices and new practices and whatever. And, you know, and to go back to your, you know, samples, yeah, the other night we were talking about their wines and they and they know like this was pulled at 22 bricks uh you know this one was pulled at 17 it was a rosé <laughs> which means it's pulled early yeah. Yeah. you know or sparkling no it's sparkling it was pulled early um you know so they're they know that kind of stuff and they're always experimenting winemakers always experiment um and i think most of them their goal the big guys are different, but if you're more of a boutique winery, your goal is to have as pure of a varietal grape and terroir place and everything else that goes into place, temperature and all of wind and you know everything, um, as you can get. Mm. You know, so you want to taste that vintage in place in the wine. If you're um, some of the some of the larger wine companies, you want the same, but if you've got a brand that sells for 15 bucks in Safeway and it's a consistent 15 buck wine, you want it to, you, your shopper wants it to taste the same no matter what. So it doesn't care about vintages. 
it wants it to taste, you know, whatever. I'm not even going to say a wine, but it wants that wine to taste the same. So that's a little different. Right. That's where the winemaker is. Winemakers have to work harder, uh, actually, um, because they have to make the wine taste the same. So those big guy winemakers are good winemakers for them to be able to do that. Um, and I think whereas the boutique wineries are really trying for that true expression of place and time, and um, which I think is just wonderful. You know, that, that is sustainability. That's sustaining. like to know. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, so I've tasted quite a bit of wine, and now I can only pick out two vineyards. But I'm so thrilled I can... Like I'll taste a wine and on eh, maybe two vineyards and then a couple of AVAs, mm. um, American Viticulture areas. So they're the regions. Um, so I can taste AVAs too. But in terms of vineyards, I, I can taste two. And I am thrilled that I can pick out two um, after many years of winemaking. <laughs> well, I mean, wine tasting, not making. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, it's amazing as far as... You know, those boutique wineries, they are there for that, you know, creative expression, you know, and they're searching for that, and they're doing all that they can to get that out, you know. It's, yeah, it's the marriage of earth and nature and bringing that to your table. Yeah. In a delicious way. Oh, yeah. I, uh, so beautiful. I remember when I was in Mendoza... And how I went to this French-ass restaurant, and I was speaking my Spanish, and they are like, you're not from around here, are you? I was like, dang it. Oh, uh, shucks. Okay, well, you got me beat. And they are like, oh, it's okay, you know. We know this, uh, this sommelier, he's at uh, the Park Hyatt down the street. You should go check him out. So I, I waltzed over there, and I was like, I'm an American, you know. Show me show me what you got, you know. And um, I'm talking to the sommelier, and he's from Kansas. Oh, good. Really <laughs> Really laid back guy, yeah. And um, he was like, "I'm gonna give you a glass of this, but you're gonna want to get the whole bottle." I'm like, "Yeah, whatever, you know." And it's a Cabernet Franc from the Casa mm. Vineyards, 2014, uh, from Cantina Zapata, which uh, they're known for their Malbec. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying this Cabernet Franc for the first time, and I end up buying a bottle. Yeah. And I go to the near the nearest uh, Mendoza is really known for parks, and. I just took this bottle of myself and sat underneath the stars and just, Aww. like, just had a powwow with myself, you That's know. That's awesome. And, uh, evening. and you, yeah, you, you're exactly right, you know. You could have a whole lifetime of drinking, and you, you might come across only two vineyards, but it's the fact that you have a memory. Oh, yeah, you know, and I know those the senses taste. are deeply intertwined yeah. to those vineyards. Oh, yes, I know. And lots of people buy grapes from those different vineyards, so I, I can pick it up. You know, I wanted to share also the two other pillars of sustainability. So one is about employees. And when we think about um, farm workers, you know, ag has farm workers in it too. We need people that are pruning and and actually often hire crews to do that, to help with that. But so um, there are people that work in vineyards that you would consider farm workers that have been with these companies for 30 years wow. that own multiple houses in South County. They, most of the wineries and vineyards are in South County. So that's why in this Salinas Valley. Um, so in wine, um, it's a little different than typical row crop stuff. 
Um, they will hire, they'll get help occasionally during harvest and, and during pruning. They're really, pruning's very difficult to do, and so it needs a sophisticated level, um, and they'll pay lots for a crew to come in and prune. Um, and then their employees um, are, it's like a lifetime thing. You rarely see somebody leaving a winery, and they become family. Uh, so, and the wineries take care of their family. And that is so good. <laughs> so my experience is that people that work for wineries or, or vineyards is they work really hard. And sometimes, like, it's bad. I, I don't know how OSHA and all of those folks do it, but, you know, they're up all night. We harvest at night. Mm-hmm. And actually harvesting at night is about sustainability. Um, because then you don't have... If you harvest at night, one, because... Uh, you decide when you want your grapes picked based on various measurements, and the biggest is bricks, sugar, mm-hmm. measuring the sugar um, in the bricks. And then, so you decide you want to harvest that. You measure the bricks, you decide you want to harvest. You want the bricks to stay where they are as soon as you measure them, right? Mm-hmm. So they'll stay the same at night because it cools down to about 55 degrees. Um, they'll start going up if there's heat. But if it stays cool, um, then the bricks will stay the same. So you harvest while the bricks can be stable, you know, at the level you want. But then also, if you get them out at nighttime, you save on refrigeration because grapes have to be cold processed. You want them to be cold processed. So if you were to harvest during the day, you would then have to refrigerate them or cool them somehow and then process them. So that's another aspect of sustainability where we're harvesting at night. Um, so as I was saying, these guys, I mean, sometimes there's barely any sleep. I know lots of people that get four hours of sleep during harvest a night, you know, it'll be weeks of two hours, four hours. I'm napping in the middle of the afternoon just to catch up. Uh, they work really hard and then they play really hard. Yeah. You know, then they take off and they have fun and they go on vacation. And so it's a, it's actually a lovely industry, very family, which I really like. So in that way... Um, I think our industry does employee relations proud. We take care of people are family. Um, so that's really good. And then the other thing is how do we support the community? So uh, one of the things that's a big issue is water, right? Oh, of yeah. course. So our county is required by law, every county is required by law to come up with a water sustainability plan by 2020, I think. Um, so it's really expensive. And our grape growers, in addition to a lot of the farmers, is too much for the county to take on. So they have committed a lot of money to helping the county get this done. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't see many other industries that are willing to put to share that cost burden mm-hmm. yeah. um, with a public entity. It's pretty impressive. I was the one sending out letters to get money. Uh, to our grape growers. So I know they stepped up and they support that kind of thing. Um, and that, that, that is impressive. And then plus, you know, all of the events that they're always at, and they're spending at least 1200 bucks an event, you know, but if any nonprofit calls, a lot of them, no problem. We will go and support you. Um, and I'm always shocked by that. Actually, I'm a little too shocked uh, because I think, well, they pay for the food. Why would they not <laughs> pay for your wine? Uh, but they're just really generous around here. So, yeah, so they're the pillars of sustainability. 
Excellent, excellent. Yeah, all those points are, you know, they, they, they remind me of, of the work I was doing in Napa. They remind me of the, the, the people I, you know, get up three, four in the morning, um, you know, and this is, you know, a young kid who's bright-eyed and bushy-tailed who doesn't really know anything about harvest, and they're <laughs> like, oh, boy, you're in for a treat, yeah. you know. And um, just very forgiving, very loving people, you know, very humble people. Yeah, very um, humble. And that's coming from, from Napa, so I can only imagine here, you know. It's much more <laughs> accessible and humble. Yeah, it's yeah. surprising how humble they are. That's, they're very, yeah, very authentic, very accessible. Yeah, so, you know, moving forward, I think, with, with um, certain issues, my, my colleague, my, my co-host, he's actually meeting with uh, the water district manager, uh, like right now <laughs> so you know he's like trying to get the skinny on like water policy moving forward you know oh my gosh that's complex that gives me a headache yeah yeah it's what do you do more... when two scientific reports on the same thing say opposite things right that's like I don't know how to make a decision yeah so you know, we're dealing with uh, mitigating climate change we're dealing with right. uh, human relations you know and how do we uh, you know I'm I'm taking a course right now, like a negotiation, right? And so, in certain instances, we'll have stalemate. Certain instances, mm-hmm. we'll have impasse, and you know the course is predicated on understanding other people's interests, right? Other stakeholders right. involved. Um, but someone said the other day is that like, it's not about understanding each other's interests, but we have to take a step further. We have to understand each other and each other's values. You know, right. what what do we value? Uh, moving forward, you know, how can we reach across the table and understand one another and uh, work together on yeah. a lot of these issues? Because everybody needs water. Um, but yeah, everybody. Yeah, I, I, I think in general the industry is is community oriented, and mm-hmm. those kind of values are important. They they tend not to be selfish and self absorbed, and, and yeah. I. Yeah. There's a. I'll try to pull it up real quick. My curiosity has brought me here um, with this new slogan when curiosity meets community. Listen. And um, it's provided me a wealth of information. I've connected to so many people, and um, I'm excited. To see what what you guys are doing, you know, in future uh, endeavors uh, here at the Monterey Vintners and Growers Association, and um, it's it's been an honor. To Thank you. Oh, get to talk to you. Yeah, great. I'm so glad. Thank you very much. And we welcome anyone from this. If you want to give me a call, learn more about wine. You're not going to make a lot of money, but it's really fun. <laughs> awesome. I'm I'm on board. Yeah, great. Awesome. Well. Thank you guys for listening. Um, We'll be in touch. And uh, hope you're enjoying your sunny day. And uh, yeah. Ciao.